It's the final countdown indeed, as the monumental bout between best bout machine himself, Kenny Omega, and the American Dragon, Brian Danielson, comes to a screeching halt via the 30-minute time limit elapsing in the match. And in spite of that, it was a match that reverberated through the Arthur Ashe Stadium, designed specifically for tennis matches. And it was treated last night to one of the best professional wrestling shows ever put together for free TV. Unbelievable. And this result is precisely what was needed. No definitive winner, no definitive loser, because you watch the two best wrestlers in the world go toe-to-toe -to -toe in a stalemate. Guys, I've got a bunch of news as well, including a brand new AEW championship, a women's title. On the horizon? Tony Khan got into a rap battle with Max Caster. What? I'll get into that. Plus, another WWE talent asks for his release. I've got interesting tweets of the week, your Dynamite Grand Slam review, and more on the Highlight Ring. Incidentally, that um, final countdown track by Europe that you heard at the top there, they apparently wanted six figures to use that track, to license it to beat Brian Danielson's theme song. Now, I know that I covered this already uh, weeks ago, obviously, when Brian Danielson initially made his debut there at All Out, but I got more details on this reading today in an article that not only did they want six figures to license this song, but they also only allowed it to be used like 20 times per year or something ridiculous like that. So clearly, you know, even if, if Tony Khan were to fork out the six figures to license the track, it still wouldn't be beneficial for them at all if they could only use it 20 times a year. That's that's insane. Um, and you know, I respect it though. I respect that. There's a lot of bands like Led Zeppelin, for an example, who they never allow like movies or video games or anything to, to license their music because they're very protective of their content, you know. Um, and that's understandable, that's perfectly understandable, you know. It's like, um, I don't know, you know, it's it's personal when you release music and you want it to be respected in a certain way you know you don't want people to just be whoring it out but um i gotta tell you last night wow aew dynamite grand slam absolutely lived up to the hype and all the expectations i don't get you know there's some haters out there you know i i still don't think people realize exactly what they witnessed last night you know for those most especially who for whatever reason are upset at the time limit draw results 
you know, between Omega and Danielson, two of the greatest wrestlers of our generation. And, and these fans, so-called fans, are crying like babies on social media about it, criticizing the whole show just because of the ending of that match. <laughs> Listen, let me put it in a way that maybe might help you to understand exactly what you witnessed last night. Because I don't think you're getting it. You know, seeing Brian Danielson versus Kenny Omega last night on network television would be like if we got to see prime Mike Tyson versus prime Muhammad Ali on free TV in an exhibition. Do you understand that? <laughs> Do you realize the magnitude of that, of what I just said and what you witnessed last night? I don't think these guys are getting it. You know, which by the way, since I already used a boxing analogy, it's appropriate to remind you that many a boxing bout ends in time in draws, not time limit, but in draws and stalemates, it, it, just like soccer as well. I couldn't tell you how many soccer matches I've seen end in draws throughout my life, sometimes nil-nil draws, which means neither team even scored a single goal, but you still enjoy watching it. Because you're, I mean, assuming, I mean, in my case, watching my favorite teams play, you know what I mean? Sometimes, hell, sometimes a draw is actually a good result for some teams. You know what I'm saying? Some of the weaker teams. It happens. And AEW is professional wrestling. It's got a sports-like presentation with wins, loss, records, rankings that actually matter. Um, in fact, dare I say it, it would actually make more sense if if draws happen more often than not, actually. I mean, what? This is basically like, I think, only the third or fourth draw that ever happened in AEW thus far, I think. I could be wrong. This could, I think this is, this might be the second, barely the second or third time a bout has resulted in a time limit draw in AEW. Now, obviously, in professional wrestling, the only way a bout could end in a draw is through a time limit or through a double disqualification. Nobody likes that. Nobody wants to see that. Or a double count out. Again, nobody would want to see that. Um, but this right here is completely appropriate. You know, that th th these guys are two of the best wrestlers in this generation. You know, in the prime of their careers still. Um, especially on the part of Kenny Omega. My goodness, man. Kenny Omega is just on a whole nother level. You know, it, it's amazing. You know, it's it's so funny to me because I remember just a few years ago, man. Just a few years ago when I was still consistently watching WWE as much as I can for the most part. I remember not just a few years ago, but even throughout the years, actually. Of my WWE fandom. I remember like on Twitter. On message boards. On forums. And Reddit. And different places. I would see people always talking about how they wish Kenny Omega would show up on WWE TV one day. And maybe make a surprise debut at the Royal Rumble a la AJ Styles. You know. And I always was like who is this Kenny Omega dude. And I, and I started watching some of his stuff. And. I mean, in the beginning, I, I kind of didn't cut him no slack. I was like, ah, man, he, he couldn't cut. He couldn't hack it in WWE. This indie guy, he couldn't cut it in WWE. But the more I started watching, I started to respect his craft. 
I mean, I seen, I, I even seen his embarrassing moments, you know, wrestling a doll in Japan, <laughs> wrestling a nine-year-old girl in Japan. Which, incidentally, I, I could be mistaken, but I believe that nine-year-old girl is, is currently who Riho is. <laughs> I believe I could be. Don't quote me on that. I, I could have sworn I read that somewhere. That nine-year-old little girl that Kenny Omega wrestled in Japan. Uh, is Riho, in fact. Um, but again, I could be wrong about that. I don't know. My, the point is, I didn't follow. I never followed Kenny Omega throughout his career because to me, nothing else existed besides WWE. I mean, I, I mean, TNA Impact. At some point, I used to watch it when it was slightly decent back in the day. You know, I'm talking like I, I'm talking about before Sting and Kurt Angle even joined the promotion. I'm talking about way back in the day, like 2003, 2004. And I remember when the X Division was popping off with AJ and Samoa Joe and Christopher Daniels, Frankie Kazarian, Alex Shally is my dude, a super underrated cat who never got his just dues. But I digress. The point is, I've grown to respect Kenny Omega, but I never realized just how great he really is. I never realized that. And I guess that just speaks to the influence that WWE has, that when you're consistently watching WWE and their programming you kind of neglect to even realize or, or to even acknowledge other wrestling companies out there and other wrestlers that exist out there in the shadows if you will but man Kenny Omega my goodness he is truly the best wrestler in the world today and it is not close he's on another stratosphere I'm telling you right now you know, you can make an argument. As a matter of fact, even CM Punk recently, I believe, was questioned during an interview. Uh, I, I forgot. I don't. If Sports Illustrated, I believe, conducted an interview with CM Punk. Oh, some major sports uh, <clears throat> news outlet, right, conducted an interview with Punk. And they asked him who the best wrestler in the world is. And, of course, off the top of his head, he said Kenny Omega. Um, Brian Danielson also comes to mind. You can make an argument for Roman Reigns. Um, but yeah, man, the point is Kenny Omega, he's just, he's on another level. I, I can't even tell you right now. He's on another level and really showed it. We're going to get into that match in the dynamite review in a second, because that was the opening match. Much to my surprise, I honestly thought that match was going to close the show. And you know what? That would have been a mistake. I think they absolutely hit the nail on the head. When they put that match up first. Because that was when the crowd was at a fever pitch. You know, if I'm not mistaken, AEW Rampage was filmed last night in two parts. So the first part of it was filmed before Dynamite kicked off live on the air uh, for TNT. So the fans had sat through already Dark Elevation, I believe. As well as the first half of Rampage. So, by the time Dynamite went on the air, the crowd was already antsy. They had already sat through... Well, how long is Elevation? Well, two hours. They already sat through two hours of wrestling, essentially. If Elevation is one hour, I believe. And, obviously, Rampage is two hours. But they taped the first hour preceding Dynamite. So... It's a lot to sit through and it's a lot to wait on, you know? That's the, that's like the same reason why CM Punk was the first 
thing to date, you know, the first thing to come out during the second episode of Rampage, landmark episode, really. I mean, wow, you know, looking back in hindsight now, too, you're seeing like the differences, you know, with Punk there. How look at the pay per view sales of All Out, and look where we're at right now with Brian Danielson and Adam Cole and this big event. It's been it's been a, an amazing ride with AEW right now, and I just hope that this is sustained for the long term, for the long run. Um, right before I started recording this episode, I did see on Twitter, as per Brian Alvarez of PW Torch, I believe, but he confirmed that the ratings for AEW Dynamite last night was 1.3 million viewers that is awesome you know i said it before i'll say it again regardless whether aew dynamite beats raw in the ratings or not or in the key demos or not you know just the fact that another wrestling company outside of the wwe ecosystem is earning 1 million views in the TV ratings per week. That is astonishing. That is an awesome, awesome accomplishment. I don't think you guys realize, or some people out there don't realize just how big of an accomplishment this is. I mean, let's look back. I mean, TNA Impact. They were on Spike TV. They were in the game for... Pfft. When did TNA Impact... When, when did they start up? Like in 2002? Like, just shortly after WCW closed down, Jeff Jarrett and his pops and some other people came together and, and built TNA, TNA Wrestling. It was NWA TNA back in the day. And they were in the game for five years. You know what I mean? From 2002 to 2012 on Spike TV. And they never, ever came close to hitting... Over a million plus viewers per week on TNA Impact. <laughs> okay? And, and you could quote me if I'm wrong. Feel free. Lalo underscore THR on the gram and the Twitter. Um, feel free to, you know, tell me that I'm wrong. Because that's that's really what... <laughs> that's really what the Smarks get a kick out of these days is, you know, being right and proving someone else wrong. So, you know... Feel free, be my guest. I I doubt it. I don't think TNA Impact ever came close to cracking a million views in the ratings per week, per week on Spike TV. If it happened, maybe it happened once, maybe for the debut of Kurt Angle or Sting, perhaps, and that was about it. But what you're seeing right now is you're seeing a whole nother company, another wrestling promotion outside of the WWE ecosystem, which includes Raw, SmackDown, NXT, Main Event, whatever the hell else they have. You're seeing another brand reaching WWE levels, essentially. And the only reason that I compare AEW to WWE, I'm not one of those like, you know, we're at war type of thing, right? Like, I, I'm, a, I'm a fanboy for wrestling. I'm a fanboy for professional wrestling. I know I don't watch everything. I don't sit around and watch everything. Um, just, I don't have the time to. And even if I did have the time to, I, I just couldn't stomach all of that content to watch MLW, ROH, and GCW, and all the Japanese stuff, and the Mexican, the luchadores, and all that. I, I just can't do it. But... 
I'm a fan of professional wrestling. The reason I compare AEW to WWE is there is no other measuring stick for this. WWE has been... Come on. They, they've been the kings of this shit forever now. They've been on top forever now. They have a 30-year, uh, you know, head start. And so, of course, wrestling history will always pretty much be enveloped by WWE. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean, I mean, listen, the oldest professional wrestling company in the Americas is a Mexican promotion called CMLL. But you wouldn't know it <laughs> because WWE uh, has the largest imprint, no matter what, globally on a global scale. So that's why I compare AEW to WWE so often. It's not because I'm seeing them this like a war kind of thing. It, the only way I see it as a war is during NXT on Tuesday nights, or uh, excuse me, on Wednesday night. They were on Tuesday and they moved Wednesdays for whatever reason on the USA Network. That whatever reason, I'm pretty sure was in fact to try and try to go to war with AEW Dynamite to try to take away some viewers from Dynamite and stop the momentum, right? To stunt its growth, if you will. So, but. There isn't a program on AEW that airs at the same time as a WWE program. Therefore, I do not see them as to being at war. Um, but they are in the same business, whether WWE wants to acknowledge that or not. I know they, they call themselves sports entertainment. <laughs> well, let them be sports entertainment, but they're still professional wrestling at heart. Nonetheless, what a show, man. Let's get into it. Let's get into the Dynamite re Review. And um, first of all, before I get into the details of Kenny Omega versus Brian Danielson, the opening match. What, what I never thought I'd say that. <laughs> the opening match to AEW Dynamite. Kenny Omega versus Brian Danielson. Absolutely incredible. But I got to tell you right off the top, this crowd was fucking bananas. This was like Chicago, guys. This was like Chicago on steroids. Just a white hot crowd. And why wouldn't they be? They're getting a freaking pay-per-view card here. And I doubt they paid pay-per-view type of money <laughs> for this. You know what I'm saying? Um, Brian Danielson. He would control a good portion of the match in the beginning. Until Kenny Omega hit him with a snapdragon suplex on the freaking LED lit ramp on the outside. I gotta say, just to cut myself off real quick, the whole setup for AEW Dynamite Grand Slam was absolutely tremendous. Um, like the ramps, they, I, I can't, ex they were like standalone. Like usually there's like a big curtain and I don't know, but it just looked absolutely spectacular. They went all out. The ramp, it was like a WrestleMania style ramp, you know, where it had like, it was like a screen in itself where the wrestlers walked down from and the stage was immaculate. Just a tremendous, tremendous set. And I really hope that AEW like continues this, like kind of try to make sets feel differently, at least for pay-per-views. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I know that Tony Khan spends a hell of a lot of money. But it would be awesome if for pay-per-views they could really like add unique designs. You know, I think they've done it. They've done it before. I know Full Gear um, had a unique set design at one point as well as Revolution, I think. But lately, the sets even for the pay-per-views have been looking the same ever since the pandemic. You know, just like pretty much the Dynamite set. 
Um, so I hope they don't go the way of WWE and, and you know, just keep the dynamite set for all, all the shows, even the pay-per-views. I like when it's a unique setup. And this was a unique setup if I ever saw one. Had a very spectacular feel to it. Kenny Omega, after hitting that nasty uh, snapdragon suplex on the ramp, he would hit the best V-trigger I've ever seen as Brian was clutching the middle rope. Kenny, with all the steam in his run-up, smashed Brian with a nasty-looking knee to the head. The V-trigger, such a beautiful maneuver there. Kenny Omega would also nail the dragon suplex off the top rope in the ring for a near fall. These are just some of the highlights. There's many highlights, guys. You got to watch this match yourselves um, if you haven't seen it, but I'm pretty sure you have if you're listening to this podcast. Brian would hit a series of chops and yes kicks. He would nail a big back suplex off the top rope as well, hitting high elevation. That'll be a big theme for the rest of this pay-per-view. We'll get more later. As for uh, as far as Britt Baker and Ruby Soho, they oh my god, they had some crazy spots off the top rope. We'll get to that later. Um, incidentally, Brian Danielson's chest was blood red, and it and it it pretty much got like that from the get go, from the jump. You know, when the match opened up, they were trading hellacious chops and kicks and everything to the chest. And Brian Danielson's chest, my goodness, that shit was like, it looked like he was bleeding out of his chest. You know, it looked like he just finished wrestling OG Kenta Kobashi, receiving those patented machine gun chops, you know what I mean? Um, of course, there was multiple false finishes, and this is the kind of match that warrants multiple false finishes. Not no matches like Sammy Guevara versus Sean Spears. You know what I'm saying? Or any run-of-the-mill match like that. This is the kind of match that is apropos for multiple false finishes. Especially considering that it's going to end in a time limit draw. Which a lot of us pretty much knew. Come on. You know what I mean? They're not going to give away a definitive winner on free TV like that. This was just a very nice preview of what we're going to eventually get at a pay-per-view near you. Whether it is full gear or something else. Brian would start kicking Kenny Omega's head in. He'd go for the LaBelle lock. Omega would get a hold of the ropes. They began to really brawl out as the time was ticking. Ultimately, the 30-minute time limit was reached. The bell rings. And they continue to brawl out. And, and then the elite goons would hit the ring and started jumping Danielson to the smorgasbord of booze. Until Christian Cage, along with the Jurassic Express, would run in for the save. Cleaning house. And standing tall at the end of this segment. Wow. What else can I say? This was a landmark matchup. And I cannot wait for them to eventually compete. Um, whether it's, again, whether it's full gear or double or nothing or, or revolution or whatever other pay-per-view. Um, but they're going to have the full match in full effect with a definitive winner eventually. This was the major setup here for that. I still think Adam Page should be the one, like Neo, he should be the one to dethrone Kenny Omega and take the strap off of him just because it's a story that's been built up for a long while and it's, just, it's an established story. You know, Adam Page is, is uh, one of the OGs, hangman shit. He's one of the OGs of AEW. Um, I, I believe 
wasn't Adam Page like in the main event of their very first pay-per-view, official pay-per-view, obviously not counting all in, but their first official pay-per-view, he was the main event against uh, Chris Jericho, right? For the championship, um, which he came up short on. So, you know, this is a guy who's been white hot for this company for seemingly since its inception, and he's been after the title. And, you know, he has the history with the elite, with Kenny Omega, and they had a falling out, and he's still after that title like a man on a mission. This is a story that writes itself, and it must have a conclusion. And that conclusion is Adam Page finally winning the top strap in the business against his longtime foe, former friend, Kenny Omega. It writes itself. But for the time being, oh my goodness, Brian Danielson, Kenny Omega, pay-per-view matchup. Kenny Omega goes over big time. That's my prediction if and when it happens. CM Punk cuts an intense promo in the ring. <clears throat> One of the highlights of this, Punk would say, quote-unquote, it's been a long time since I've been in New York City. And it's also been a long time since professional wrestling has been in New York City. And the crowd went bonkers. Punk would hint at an eventual heel turn uh, because that's what we all want to see. We want to see Punk as the angry, disgruntled talent, uh, being the voice of the voiceless, you know what I mean, speaking out. We want to see angry Punk rebelling against the system, being a smart asshole who makes way too much sense for his own good. While Punk would say, be careful what you wish for. In the meantime, he would pretty much tell Team Taz that they should have finished him when they had the chance because now they have no chance. He exclaims, come Rampage, powerhouse Hobbs will go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> I don't know how. There's no way CM Punk could hit the GTS on powerhouse Hobbs. I mean, maybe we'll see if, if he proves me wrong. I don't think he could execute that move on a man as big as powerhouse Hobbs, I, I, it ain't happening. He's gonna have to win the bout via the Anaconda Vice or something else. Maybe he could do the Pepsi Plunge off the top rope. <laughs> That'd be a hell of a spot, wouldn't it? I mean, they're they're in Arthur Ashe, make it big. Nah, but um, incidentally, um, Stephen Amell, who is the co-star. To Punk on the brand new show Heels, exclusively on Stars. I had actually subscribed to Stars just to watch that show, and I already unsubscribed already, <laughs> but just to save money. But um, oh no, actually I don't think I did unsubscribe. Actually, no, 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 no. I, I paid like ninety nine cents, and I got two months now. I was about to unsubscribe, but they got me with that. They're like, okay, ninety nine cents, and you get two months on us. All right, fine. I could continue to watch Heels. <laughs> But, um, yeah, so Stephen Amell was in the front row. Punk would greet him. So that tells me that there's going to be some shenanigans during the Hobbs-Punk match on Rampage, which, incidentally, was going to be filmed later on that last night. It was filmed after Dynamite, that portion of it. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm predicting there's going to be shenanigans with Stephen Amell. I think we're going to get a fuck finish of some sort. We're going to get some kind of shenanigans, which is fine. Uh, because again, I don't, I don't know how Punk could hit Hobbs with the GTS. You know what I mean? And and I think what we're really anticipating is Ricky Starks and his coming out party. Him and Punk dueling on the mic, dueling in the ring. That's really 
a match that I'm hoping brings out the best in Ricky Starks. And I'll do res I'll do respect to to Powerhouse Hobbs. He'll have his time, but I think right now is the time for Ricky Starks, and I think Will Hobbs is just the setup for that. You know what I mean? To build to that. So that's really what it's going to come down to. But we'll find out uh, Saturday, y'all. Have the review up for Rampage. MJF with Wardlow takes on Brian Pillman Jr., who was accompanied by Julia Hart. Incidentally, before I get into the match details, I want to point out that MJF's parents would actually upload a picture into social media land of them holding a fan sign that read... Where MJF's parents, and we think he sucks too. <laughs> and MJF would reply saying, fuck off, mom. <laughs> they were both in attendance for Grand Slam, but that's just great, great stuff. You know what? I can see that MJF probably gets his charisma from his parents. You know, I mean, there's some pretty cool ass parents to, to do that. You know what I mean? They're not like those corny parents who are just like always supportive, you know. Well, I mean, not not that it's corny, but you know, they're they're not like, oh, we we love our son and he's he's the best, you know. Even though everyone hates him, we love him. Like, no, they're like, we're his parents and we fucking can't stand him either. So <laughs> that's pretty cool to see. Brian Pillman would do the classic, um, or rather. MJF would do the classic bad guy attempting a handshake on Brian Brian. Pillman, which is a wrestling trope. Um, of course, Pillman wouldn't fall for it as he nailed MJF with a series of chops. MJF would slap the taste out of Pillman's mouth through a, with a very hard slap across the face to which Pillman would return the favor. MJF would do his signature th throw into the corner using Pillman's arm. That's the best way I could describe the move, to be honest. Um, toward the end of the bout, MJF would actually grab Julia Hart and use her as a meat shield to block Pillman's attempted suicide dive. Of course, uh, Pillman would retract. He would not dive out of the ring seeing Julia Hart. Julia Hart would get into the face of MJF looking super pissed off. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> Pillman would, would kick MJF across the face on the outside and throw him back in the ring. Pillman would then attempt a clothesline from the top rope to which MJF countered with the salt of the earth submission hold for the submission victory. And this is the correct result. I mean, that's I don't really have nothing else to offer besides that. This is the correct result. Um, MJF needed this win after his loss to Jericho at All Out. Um, I will say that the build-up to this match was quite humiliating for Brian Pillman. I mean, the way MJF like roasted his whole family and and then <laughs> Brian Pillman's sister, who was in attendance and got roasted herself, she would give birth later on that night, and then MJF would insult the newborn baby along with <laughs> along with the rest of the family. So that is just bananas to me. Um, MJF is on a whole nother level as far as heel promos go and, and that heel character that he's built for himself. And incidentally, I, Booker T, on the latest episode of the Hall of Fame, he would declare that MJF is the best talker in the business right now.
So there you have it. MJF with a with a nice win there as well over Brian Pillman Jr. We cut to a backstage promo with the GOAT, Chris Jericho and Jake Hager hyping up their bout against the men of the year on Rampage. All I'm gonna say is that um I love Jericho. Um not so much Jake Hager, but <laughs> I love Jericho, but he needs to put over the men of the year, man, because these guys what are they doing? You know what I mean? They've Dan Lambert has been coming out week after week doing these promos, like kind of talking down on professional wrestling, even though he's apparently the mouthpiece for two wrestlers, but you know, kind of hyping up his, his MMA goons more so than the men of the year, Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page. So they need this win. And that's all I'm going to say. They need this win. Do I care about this match? Quite frankly, no. Quite frankly, I don't. Um, and I mean, finding out that Christopher Daniels is going to have one last run in wrestling, I feel like they should just reunite SCU at this point. You know what I'm saying? Kazarian, Danielson, and and uh, Scorpio Sky. Why not? It makes... It, it, I mean, I don't know. It's just my opinion. Malachi Black takes on Cody who is being flanked by Arn Anderson and a returning Brandy Rhodes. Okay, so right off the top, Malachi Black at this point is being cheered and chanted for as if he's the babyface. And Cody makes his obnoxiously overdramatic entrance dressed up like looking like Captain Crunch. And he comes out to a chorus of boos as if he's a bigger heel than MJF. I mean, literally, uh, Cody got booed more than MJF did. <laughs> and MJF is the best heel in the business right now. So that's crazy. And I concur. I mean, that's not to say that Cody sucks or he isn't likable. Or as some people, some people even seem to think that he's like holding other wrestlers down to put himself over. Which I don't know where in the world people are getting that idea from. If anything, Cody has done entirely the opposite of that. He's, he's only been putting over other people and has been bearing himself in the process, at least in my opinion. And you see it now. You see the result of it now. And, and all the proof is there. The proof is in the pudding <laughs> that Cody would work wonders as a heel at this point in time. Plain and simple. The match would begin with some toe-to-toe -to -toe striking with Cody getting the better of Black until Black mounts a comeback and Cody would dip out of the ring as he does. So Black would sit in the center of the ring for his cross-legged pose and then Brandy Rhodes would enter the ring and sit across from him in the same cross-legged pose and then she put her well-manicured middle fingers up in the air giving Malachi the double birdie, two fingers to his face and you can actually read her lips at this point. And she, she said, fuck you to Malachi Black on national TV. You could read her lips. Um, it wasn't audible, but you could very clearly see that she said, fuck you to Malachi Black. Um, which I thought was not only hilarious, but quite frankly, that was awesome. That was really, really awesome. I hope to, to see more of that attitude from Brandy. Um, and this is what I mean. If, if Cody and Brandy Rhodes become an on-screen like power heel couple a la triple h and stephanie mcmahon helmsley you know what i'm saying it would be best for business pun intended i hope to see that especially on the part of brandy that was that was hot man i hope to see her more like with attitude like that you know what i'm saying flipping people off and what have you 
Malachi Black was laughing just as hysterically as I was at Brandy Rhodes. And Cody would run back in the ring immediately and put the whooping on Black. He would throw him out of the ring. Then Cody attempted a top rope dive to the outside, but Black would counter it with a vicious knee strike to the head. Shortly after getting back in the ring, Black would hit Rhodes with a huge kick, and Rhodes goes outside the ring again. Malachi Black gets out of the ring immediately and has Rhodes in a headlock. Rhodes start working the knee of Malachi Black. He uses the ropes and hits a classic dragon screw maneuver. I haven't seen that in a while. They would go to the corner and start trading stiff kicks. Cody goes for the crossroads, but to no avail. Black has it scouted. Now, getting to the end of the match here, hindsight's 2020. Clearly, one of the final, well, one of the spots for this final act of this match was supposed to see Arn Anderson standing on the apron where they would do the classic accidental collision trope where Black would send Cody into Arn and cause him to fall to the ground, which Cody would be like, oh, fuck, I messed up, my bad. Now, this did happen. However, it seems as though Arn Anderson while trying to get into position the first time, he actually tripped and fell off the apron to the ground. Um, and I, I didn't actually see it live when it happened. Of course, for the sake of this review, I actually watched the event again. And I did see it on this second play. But it got a big reaction from the crowd. And that's indeed what apparently happened. And, and it is. He fell. I seen it the second time watching um, I'm, I'm just glad Arn Anderson is okay, man. You know, that looked like a nasty little spill he took. It was loud, too. And, like, the fans were like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm glad that Arn Anderson was okay. Nonetheless, he would, of course, get back up and get back up onto the apron. Cody Rhodes would um, attempt to Irish with Black, who reversed it, sending Cody crashing into Arn, what was supposed to happen the first time Arn got up there. Sending arm to the outside. And um, Malachi Black, he would get sent on the outside as well. Cody would go check on Arn. Arn would actually like get mad and um, like tell him, get back in there. You know what I mean? Like, don't worry about me. Go handle your business type of thing, which I thought was a really cool moment for what it's worth. You know what I mean? Even though they had to retake, <laughs> basically, you know what I mean? But um, yeah, so... There was a spot where Cody backhanded the referee uh, accidentally, quote-unquote, to which then Malachi Black spit a black mist into Cody's face. And then he rolls up Cody for the pinfall victory. So, based off of what I'm seeing here, I mean, by Cody's obnoxious entrance um, and by his actions, accidentally hitting the referee, accidentally hitting Arn Anderson... Um, inadvertently through Malachi Black reversing the Irish whip, whatever. These are all hints, and, and it's very clear that Cody is, in fact, gonna turn heel. It's got it's to happen. It's very obvious through the teasing of this match here. Uh, I don't see any other route for Cody to take at this point. He is starring in his own reality TV show now with Brandy, Rhodes to the top. It is called, it's gonna debut uh, next week. After Dynamite, I believe. So, yeah, man. Cody, he needs he needs to turn heel. And it's very evident after this match that that's what they're going to go for. Malachi Black, the sky's the limit for him. Um, you know, I, I cannot wait to see him have matches with 
you name it, CM Punk, Brian Danielson, Miro. You know what I'm saying? I, I mean, I know they're both heels, so I don't know how that would actually work. But I Malachi Black is the type of talent who could pretty much seamlessly work with anybody. You know what I mean? He's one of those kind of guys. Um, so it's going to be very exciting to see where Malachi goes from here. I can't possibly see this feud continuing now. For the love of God, please end this feud and move Black onto something brand new. We cut to a video package hyping up the TNT title bout between defending champ Miro versus young stud Sammy Guevara. Miro would cut another golden promo saying, My God demands pain. My bride demands pleasure. And sometimes pain too. <laughs> that was awesome. I tell you, Miro, he's, he's firing on all cylinders, man. I, I've been putting him over big these last two episodes. He's, he's in rare form right now. Um, this will take place on the next episode of Dynamite. Now, you know, I've been saying that I would actually like to see Miro go after the AEW championship. So I wouldn't mind him losing the TNT strap to Sammy Guevara. I will say I don't think it's the time just yet, though. Um, I mean, I suppose having a title change on Dynamite would be a good look, you know, to continue like the the headlines grabs that they're getting right now. Um, ride this big wave that AEW is riding right now with all of the hype behind them. Perhaps it would be a good look to have a title change on on uh, Dynamite, you know. Um, but I, again, I think it's not the right time yet. That should be saved for full gear. Um, I think they should put on a very good match, though. Um, because, you know, Sammy, just like I was talking about Malachi Black being one of those talents who could work with anybody. I see Sammy Guevara in that same light as well. I'll, I mean, well, maybe to a lesser extent. I know he was a little sloppy with Matt Hardy. You know, they had some very sloppy skirmishes during their rivalry last year. But nonetheless, this should be a good match. We'll see. FTR with Tully Blanchard take on Sting and Darby Allen in a tag team exhibition. Darby and Cash Wheeler begin the bout trading blows to the head. All the while, the crowd is chanting for the Stinger to get in there and mix it up. So Darby obliges and he tags in Sting who comes into a big pop. FTR quickly overwhelm him until he clotheslines the both of them. He commences his signature punch and chop combos. He would attempt his stinger splash in the corner, but Cash Wheeler moves out the way. Incidentally, FTR are wearing their logo in NWO's classic font, which is a very nice touch given the history that Sting has with the history-making faction. Um... Very good attention to detail. When Sting tags in Darby, he comes in firing on all cylinders, hitting the coffin splash on the corner, knocking his foes down, then hitting the both of them with the coffin splash in the middle of the ring, and they sold that really well. They went flying to the outside, and then we cut to commercial break. During picture-in-picture, picture, FTR would take control of the bout, putting the whooping on Darby and double-teaming him in the ring as well. All the while, Snoop Dogg is apparently doing <laughs> commercials for Corona Mas Fina, Cerveza Mas Fina. And da Dax Harwood has Darby in a nasty-looking abdominal stretch during this picture-in-picture -picture break. When we come back from break, 
He continues working Darby in the corner, hitting European uppercuts. FTR attempt to do more double team moves until Darby manages to give Sting the hot tag. And he comes in very hot indeed, knocking Cash Wheeler to the outside and hitting a good old fashion spine buster a la Arn Anderson on Dax Harwood in the middle of the ring. Sting would also hit a very nice looking crossbody dive while Dax was attempting a pile driver on Darby. Darby would actually attempt a tombstone pile driver on Sting, but Sting would counter it into a scorpion death drop. Perhaps this was a nod to the fantasy match of Undertaker versus Sting, which we never got. We could have got, but WWE really fucked that up. Um, nonetheless, Cash would provide distraction, beating on Darby. FTR placed a steel chair in the corner, knowing that Stinger would go for the patented Stinger splash once again, except Sting, the 30-year-plus veteran, has it scouted. He avoids the chair and hits the Stinger splash on the other side of the ring to cash. Sting would lock in the Scorpion Deathlock, and while he's doing that, Darby hits like the sickest-looking coffin drop I have ever seen yet on Cash. Uh, I think it was Cash or Dax, one of them fools uh, that was on the apron on the outside. In the sound of the impact and everything, the crowd was like, oh shit, it was an awesome, awesome coffin drop. That's one for the highlight reel for AEW's opening. I'll tell you right now, it's little opening video package, you know, during the pyro and stuff. Sting and Darby Allin win the match via the Scorpion Deathlock submission hold. What can I say, man? Sting is looking phenomenal in the ring. I said it before. I'll say it again. I'm, I'm about ready to see Sting in a one-on-one -on -one match. <laughs> Real talk. I know that's probably a bad idea, but I, I, a part of me really wants to see Sting in a one-on-one -on -one match. Maybe against Malachi Black, <laughs> where Malachi Black kicks Sting's head off. You know, putting the exclamation mark on his big push right now. Wouldn't that be something? Maybe maybe that'll happen during a feud between Malachi Black and Darby Allen. Oh my god, that would be a great feud um, right there. That kind of writes itself. Both of these characters have that dark kind of demeanor to them. Um, nonetheless, Shit Baker defends the women's championship against number one contender ruby soho the match would begin with the dual chance of ruby soho dmd you love to hear it <laughs> baker and soho are exchanging holds neither one gets the upper hand until soho hits baker with a big knee baker leaves the ring and gets checked on by jamie hater and rebel on the outside establishing that brit has her goons watching her back tonight Soho would land a big dive off the top rope to the outside, crashing Britt Baker and her two goons like bowling pins. Baker then hit Soho with a nice super kick. Next, Baker lifted Soho, put her on the apron, and hit Soho with a swinging neckbreaker on the outside. That was a, a pretty crazy spot right there as well. I, I almost thought she was going to do like randy orton's ddt that he does when he has his opponent's legs you know sitting on that middle rope but she did a, a neck breaker instead that was that was a unique maneuver to do on the outside when we come back from commercial break one of many ruby sends brit crashing into the corner 
Soho and Baker then exchange thrust kicks and punches and all out brawl ensues until Britt Baker would go for the lockjaw submission maneuver to no avail. Ruby Soho would get out of it in time. Baker would then knock her down the canvas and reach for her patented black glove from Rebel on the outside indicating the doctor is ready for her patient. But Ruby once again <laughs> counters the lockjaw attempt. She hits some nice headbutts to Ruby, tosses her into the corner, and gives her running knees to the back. Now, Ruby Soho, when she hits those running knees to the back, it looks almost as devastating as Darby Allen's coffin drop. You know what I'm saying? It's like the, it, it, it always makes me react the same way. When I see that coffin drop, and then when I see Ruby Soho hitting those two knees to the back, I'm like, oh, goddamn. You know what I mean? It looks very impactful. I like that move. Um, and I like that as a signature move for Ruby Soho. I want to cut to the final act of this match now. Where after regaining control, Britt Baker would hit a nasty looking air raid siren off the top rope. I got to tell you, you want to talk about moves that make you cringe. This It was one of the most butt clenching moments. I got to say, a very dangerous maneuver to execute on ground. Let alone off from the top rope absolutely sickening and the elevation you know what i'm saying that that they got like ruby soho was so like it looked like she was about to fall right on top of her head is what i'm saying you know what i'm saying but luckily it was executed correctly um she landed on the side of her back and i'm glad thank god it went well and ruby is okay she kicked out at two Ruby Soho would hit her back kick finishing maneuver, which if I heard correctly is, is called the no future kick. Okay, but she nails Brit with it. She would also hit Rebel with it there on the apron. Jamie Hayter, however, was able to counter Ruby's advances and thrust her neck onto the rope. Brit would then blindside Ruby and lock, lock her into the lockjaw submission hold and make her tap out for the submission victory. This was a this was a pretty good match, man. Um, this was, I would say, this was about equal to Chris Thatlander's match with Britt Baker at All Out. This was a pretty good match. Uh, Ruby really has come into her own now in AEW, in my opinion. Um, I think it's interesting that. Well, I'm gonna get into it in the news section. There's a rumor going around, um, and not really a rumor. It was practically confirmed. That there will be a new women's championship. Like a secondary title to the the well, the women's world title. Um, I'll get more into it in the news section. But I'm wondering if they're setting this up. Maybe Ruby will win that. Because you gotta know. Just like I, I exclaim that Adam Page has to be the guy. That dethrones Kenny Omega for the, for the strap. In the same in the same situation with the women's division, I believe Thunder Rosa is the one that must dethrone Britt Baker for the women's title. Because these these players in this game have their stories built up. You see what I'm saying? Adam Page has his story long established now with Kenny Omega. And Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker have a nice story established for themselves as well. Let's not forget match of the year candidate that they had 
was it last year? No, it was this year. It was this year, the match of the year candidate. I, I labeled it match of the year candidate between Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa on Dynamite. Uh, it was like that unsanctioned lights out match, basically a hardcore match, let's just say. And um, so they have the history. They establish a story. So they got to be, you know, engaging in more matches together in the not too distant future. So perhaps Ruby Soho will be the front runner for this brand new uh, women's title that they're going to be introducing. I'll give uh, I'll get more into it in the new section. Um, nonetheless, this was a, a very good match. And I'm hoping also to see Jamie Hayter evolve and grow and and eventually go on her own because that's another beast in the women's division right there overall you could argue that this episode of aew dynamite surpassed the all-out pay-per-view just for the opening match i mean forget about the rest of the card here just that opening match was the main course while the rest of the card was felt like appetizers in spite of the fact that the monumental bout ended in a time limit draw this was a pay-per-view event, basically, and you didn't even have to fork out no $40 or $50 to see it. It was on free TV. You love to see it. You gotta love it. I mean, again, some people, they just can't be pleased. They'll just complain for the sake of complaining. <laughs> you know what I mean? Those that are, are really salty that uh, Omega and Danielson ended in a, in a draw, in a time limit draw. There wasn't going to be a definitive winner on free TV, guys. Just be happy we got to see them, you know what I mean? In the same ring together, actually wrestling. No shenanigans. Just a plain and simple, classic professional wrestling bout. And um, needless to say, what, what else is there to say? It's exciting. Hopefully, they continue this streak that they're on as a company, as a brand, AEW, you know, firing on all cylinders. I cannot wait for Rampage tomorrow night, as well as Dynamite the following week. Let's get into the new section. Once again, I'm going to delve into that championship title. Um, Adam Cole makes a confirmation about Britt Baker. Uh, wrestler in WWE asks for his release. I've got some interesting tweets of the week. And I'm also going to cover the dark side of the ring plane ride from hell controversy one last time. <laughs> we have an update on that. Ric Flair and Tommy Dreamer both have put out statements regarding the controversy. I'm going to delve into all that coming up after this. So it does indeed look as though AEW is getting ready to introduce a brand new championship title for the women's division, at least according to Andrew Zarian of Mat Men Pro Wrestling, um, who revealed this on Denise Salcedo's podcast, and who she's a journalist, a wrestling journalist, if you will. She does coverage for Fightful Select in particular, as well as uh figure four online i believe um and and they are pretty especially on the part of fightful select at least i don't know too much about denise salcedo but i know like fightful select they're pretty accurate usually you know what i mean they get a lot of their their stuff right so the women's championship will be called the tbs title um that's if it happens um, this is not 100% confirmed, but again, again, Fightful Select is normally pretty accurate. 
this is interesting man um you know i gotta say to be quite honest i i don't think it's a good idea to introduce a new women's championship this soon um I mean, obviously, if they're going to call it the TBS title, I guess it's like the TNT championship or it's essentially like a mid card, like a, a television title, you know, that'll be defended uh, pretty frequently on the television shows. Um, but I think that the women's division needs to improve a little bit more. Uh, who, who are they going to put the TBS title on? Jade Cargill? <laughs> the Bunny? Red Velvet, and I actually like Red Velvet, but she's not ready for anything like that. Um, I the only pick would be Ruby Soho, but Ruby Soho is is better than a, you know, than a TBS title. Um, I I think it's a not a good idea, honestly, to introduce a secondary women's championship. If anything, if they want to introduce any new championship, I'm all for the trios titles being introduced now at this point um which is funny because i in the beginning i remember last year uh there was as recently as last year there was talks of the trios titles being a thing at some point and i didn't like the idea in the beginning i was like i don't i don't think it's good um i think they should just focus on building up the aew championship as the most prestigious title in the game and the TNT title, the secondary title, could help to build, you know, the up-and-coming guys. Guys like Miro, guys like Darby, and so forth. Um, but now, I'm, I've changed my tune entirely on the trios titles. I think bringing in trios titles would be awesome now. Hey, look at all the teams. Look at all the alliances. You know, you have the elite. You have the super elite now. Adam Cole in the mix. You've got the Jurassic Express. You've got the Death Triangle, assuming they're still a thing, right? Pac and Penta and uh, Ray Phoenix. I mean, I'm sure there's there's others that I'm forgetting. There's plenty of, of three-man groups who can chase after a trio's titles if and when they introduce those. Apparently, AEW Rampage is staying on TNT in 2022. However, AEW Dynamite, the flagship show, is still moving to TBS come January next year. That's an interesting turn of events given that TBS is often perceived as the second-rate little sibling to TNT. But in actuality, TBS is, in fact, more readily available in in more homes than tnt is which would actually help out dynamite in the long run i would i would have to imagine i know like me for example <laughs> my my family we have dish latino we have dish latino which it's like you know i mean it's the spanish language gimmick but also we have a few american channels american tv networks um and we don't get tnt much to my chagrin, but we do get TBS. So when Dynamite moves to TBS come next year, I'll finally be able to watch. I'll finally be able to watch Dynamite on the big screen and <laughs> not on my laptop. You know what I'm saying? So I can dig it, man. You know, them moving to TBS, I think it'll help them in the long run. Either that or it probably won't make a significant difference. Um, you got to keep in mind also with TNT's new NHL TV 
deal and the existing NBA coverage, which did bump Dynamite a couple of times already. I concur with this move completely. Now, on the part of Rampage, it remains to be seen if Rampage will remain a one-hour show. We'll see how long, how much longer this lasts. Um, because at this rate, with this massive roster that AEW has, I could see Rampage turning into a two-hour show very, very quickly. Much more sooner than not. You feel me? So, me personally, I absolutely love the current format of the shows. I love Dynamite on Wednesdays. is two hours. Rampage Friday, one solid hour of wrestling. Of course, tomorrow night, it's going to be the two-hour special Grand Slam edition of Rampage. But I, I like the normal one-hour start time. It, it's perfect for me. It fits my schedule. Um, so, you know, I really hope that they don't change that anytime soon. Adam Cole confirms WWE NXT had interest in Britt Baker. During his time on the NXT brand, undisclosed officials would tell Adam Cole, Hey, if Britt Baker is available... Please let us know. Of course, Britt Baker actually did appear for WWE in the past as enhancement talent once in 2016 in a squash match to the crippler Nia Jax, <laughs> who, thank God, didn't paralyze Britney, uh, Britt Baker, and once in 2018 in another squash match to Shayna Baszler. This was on an interview Adam Cole would conduct with uh, Sports Illustrated, I believe, so... That's interesting. You know, it's always, I guess, entertaining, if nothing else, to just imagine what Britt Baker would be doing right now if she had been signed to a WWE deal instead of AEW. I can't help but wonder, you know what I mean? I'm sure Britt Baker would probably still be getting fed to the likes of Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler and God forbid she gets demoted to... The top brands, Raw or SmackDown, where she would then be fed to Little Red Riding Hood, Becky Lynch. Who I gotta say, Becky Lynch with this heel turn seemingly that she's got going on. I've, I've been seeing her like in recent interviews and like little highlights that I watch, right, on YouTube. Her heel demeanor, to me, it really strikes me like she's trying hard to be like Britt Baker. I, it just seems that way to me, like certain mannerisms, certain like her facial expression. I don't know. Maybe I'm tripping. Maybe I'm the one looking too much into things. But I feel like not only is she trying to act like Britt Baker, but I almost I feel like WWE is trying to capitalize on this popularity that Britt Baker has gained over. I mean, really through the pandemic era, Britt Baker really exploded into a mega star for AEW and then what a coincidence Becky Lynch now turns heel I, I believe right she's a heel now isn't she she made her big return at SummerSlam and squashed Bianca Belair and now she's acting like she's Be like she's Britt Baker no little red riding hood you're, you're not you're not Britt Baker Britt Baker has more talent in her pearly whites than you have in your red hair and your entire body <laughs> but uh <laughs> I, I try. I try, guys. I try too hard. <laughs> Nonetheless, Lucha House Party stablemate Gran Metalik 
formally asks for his release from WWE. A new report from Mas Lucha states that the Lucha House Party member is asking for his release following dissatisfaction with the way his tenure has been handled in the company. His contract will run through 2023, reportedly. Hmm. You know, Gran Metalik, I gotta tell you, he's not one to sleep on, man. I, I know he's he doesn't have like a flattering body. Uh, he's a little pudgy, but he could go. Like, he really could go. He's not built for show. My man's is built to go. Because he could go. He's He really is the king of the ropes in WWE. Him and, um... What's his name? What a pretty boy dude with the dimples. What was his name? Uh... See, I already forgot his name. Like, WWE was trying to push him a little bit. Humberto Carrillo. Him and Humberto Carrillo could do some pretty cool stuff. Like, they could, you know, just like Ray Phoenix. Like, they could run across the top ropes and shit like Undertaker. You know how Undertaker would do the old school and walk across the ropes? While these guys, like Gran Metalik, he could run across the ropes. Like, I would love to see him and Ray Phoenix mix it up. That would be a good match. Um, I'm not saying AEW should sign him though. I, I think AEW needs to hit the brakes on signing so many people to be quite honest. I'm all for Bray Wyatt, Mr. Wyndham Rotunda. I'm all for him showing up at AEW at some point in the not too distant future. But as for Gran Metalik, hey, I would love to see him in, in Impact or, or even if he goes back to AAA, he could still wind up in an AEW showdown via the forbidden door only time will tell so we got some interesting tweets of the week first up kenny omega would tweet shortly after his monumental matchup with brian danielson that resulted in a 30 minute time limit draw he would tweet quote unquote ain't gonna be no rematch <laughs> a la uh, rocky balboa or, or Creed, rather. Apollo Creed telling Rocky Balboa, ain't gonna be no rematch. <laughs> Balboa says, I don't want one. Brian Danielson should have tweeted that. <laughs> I don't want one. Nah, man. What a match. What a match. I've already said enough about the freaking match. I can't wait to see them duke it out once again for the strap at a big pay-per-view. Most, most likely full gear. WWE personality Pat McAfee would tweet in regards to the Sting Darby Allen versus FTR tag match at Grand Slam. He posted a picture of Sting's birth date and age, March 20th, 1959, 62 years old. And he said, quote unquote, laugh out loud. That was unbelievable. Indeed, I concur, Mr. McAfee. And that's 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 a funny visual right there to see a wwe analyst tweeting about an aew event <laughs> ain't that something but nah, aew is not competition they're not they're not making any noise man we don't hear them we don't pay attention to what they do except most of your talents do evidently so that's funny but yeah no man sting you know icon legend hall of famer you know, it doesn't need to be said. Yeah, he's he's an, he's a next level talent that'll forever have a footprint left in this industry. In an update to his condition, Triple H would tweet, "Quote unquote, I've been blown away by the outreach and support from so many people. 
I'm recovering, I'm doing well, and deeply grateful for all the love in my life, especially grateful for at Shawn Michaels and all the superstars and crew at WWE NXT. Steph and the girls loved the snacks. See you soon. I'm definitely very happy that Triple H had a successful surgery and, and everything went well. You know, heart problems ain't nothing to fuck with. You know what I mean? That's needless to say. Um, any kind of heart condition, heart problems, whatever. That's that's nothing to mess around with. So very, very happy that Triple H is okay. Now, both Tommy Dreamer and Ric Flair have responded to the big dark side of the ring. Plane Ride from Hell episode controversy. Obviously, I, uh, <laughs> I kind of went off. On the last episode, uh, on the part of Tommy Dreamer, Tom Bow, I never want to see that man on my TV again. <laughs> oh, gee, that is. <laughs> but, uh, oh, man, I'm, this is going to be the last time I talk about this. You know what I mean? Um, Tommy Dreamer, he would post on all of his social media handles, quote unquote, regarding my comments on Dark Side of the Ring. It was never my intention to offend, hurt, or victim shame anyone. I understand my comments were insensitive and could trigger emotions in someone's own past. I do not condone sexual misconduct of any kind. I apologize to anyone I offended. From the bottom of my heart, I am so sorry. Okay. I mean, he's on the right path. <laughs> I mean, he didn't... He didn't own up he didn't say what i said was wrong uh you know what i mean that that was messed up what i said nothing like that <laughs> but this is a good start i mean what, what more do you want you know this is a good start this is all we're asking for on the part of people like him people like flair pe people like tessa blanchard we want you to just own up um and um take responsibility that's all that's asked for at this point because so many people don't take responsibility. Um, so I, I stick to my guns personally. I never cared for Tommy Dreamer, to be quite honest with you. I never cared for his in-ring work. I've never been a big fan of that hardcore stuff that's well established in this podcast. I've, I've established that many a times now. I'm not a, one of those big hardcore kind of guys. Um, and yeah, Tommy Dreamer doesn't appeal to me. So I stick to my guns. I still don't want to see him on my TV. <laughs> not necessarily because of what he said, but he's just not appealing to me. I don't, you know, I've never been a fan of his work in the ring. Um, but no, but I, I do appreciate that he's actually, um, <clears throat> you know, that he released the statement at least and taking the first step to redeem himself on his path to redemption because everybody deserves an opportunity to redeem themselves at some point let you know time heals all wounds i get that you know when something is fresh of course it's gonna take some time because we don't want people to take advantage either and start talking out of pocket or doing things that are terrible but then being like oh, okay well i'll just apologize and you know what i'm saying it'll be like confessions at a catholic church then i could go party again the next week <laughs> like nah it's gonna take time and Tommy Dreamer has commenced his road to redemption. A road to redemption. That would be a good name for a wrestling pay-per-view event. 
I'm pretty road to redemption. I'm pretty sure there probably is one already. Anyway, Ric Flair would put out a few statements himself. Firstly, in a direct response to the dark side of the ring, he would post on his social media handles, quote unquote, every person that I've worked with has said not to post a response, but I've never run from past behaviors before and I'm not going to now. I want to clarify a few things. About four years ago, I gave ESPN full access to my life for a 30 for 30 special. They covered taxes, financial issues, adultery, divorces, the passing of my child, and drinking and partying at length. Rory Kemp, desperate to matter for another 15 minutes, did an interview about it this morning. When Rory's lips are moving, he's typically lying, but one part of what he said was the God's honest truth. I'd never heard that he had forced someone to touch his genitals. Carp admitted, Everything with Rick that was construed as negative, I tried to address in the 30 for 30. His drinking, his philandering, his adultery, his money problems. There's quite a bit, but never, at least in the people that I spoke to, no one ever brought up that he would force himself on somebody. I allowed my personal life and the lives of my wife and children to be turned upside down for one reason. Whether it's good or bad, even though really bad, the truth has to matter, even in wrestling. My issues have been well documented over my 40 plus year career. The impact of drinking too much, which nearly killed me five years ago, has been told time and time and time again. The reason Rory or anyone else for that matter, never heard stories of me forcing myself on anyone is simple. It never happened. Except Rob Van Dam said it did happen. <laughs> nah. and, and that Rory Camp guy is clearly trying to promote his show. You know what I'm saying? Trying to promote the product, the, the production 30 for 30. You know what I'm saying? Of course, this big controversy comes out. He's going to come out and basically tell you, well, I, I covered all of Ric Flair's career. Come watch it. 30 for 30, y'all. I ain't never seen Ric Flair do nothing. Come and find out for yourself. <laughs> this is, you know, and, and Flair would, would issue a follow-up statement to that saying, quote unquote, to clarify, the helicopter, as it was called, is accurate. I wish I could blame it on youth. But it was a case of drinking too much and being inappropriate and I apologize for that and have countless times over the years. I've made some bad decisions during dark periods in my life and it is something I've spent a significant part of years I was given by the doctors in 2017 trying to make right. I condemn sexual assault in any way, shape or form I could and have written books, as have others, that have covered my transgressions. I've made some terrible decisions, but I've never forced myself on anyone in any way, period. And this is turning into a circus because a fan would actually... Well, Ric Flair would condemn Rob Van Dam in a tweet. He would say... You know, somebody that I know 
tried to destroy my reputation based off of an assumption. And he was referring to Rob Van Dam when Rob Van Dam said on camera for the Dark Side of the Ring show that he saw Ric Flair cornering the, the flight attendant in the galley, right? In the back of the plane um, and trying to force her to touch his dick. And you can hear him say that or touch him rather. You know, and he says that there's nothing edited about it. There's no editing. There's no, you know, nothing like that. There's no shenanigans. He said that on camera. To and and then Rob Van Dam would come out and and deny it. You know, because a, a Twitter user would ask him, "Hey, can you confirm that you for certain witnessed with your eyes Ric Flair try to?" Or, or grab the flight attendant's hand and and force it to his genitals. <laughs> I'm just laughing because this just this sounds so ridiculous, man. But um, <clears throat> Rob Van Dam would say it's false that he did not see that, um, <clears throat> and clever editing will make it appear as though he did. What I'm gonna do? I'm gonna do something for the first time ever on this show. I'm going to actually play the audio clip of Rob Van Dam saying what he saw, you know, telling you what he saw on Dark Side of the Ring on that flight. And I want you to be the judge. So I'm going to go ahead and play this clip now and you be the judge. What Rob, Rob Van Dam said. I remember him crowding the uh, the flight attendant, like in the in the aisle way back there by the bathroom where it's like real skinny and you can't fit two people through there and stuff. I remember him like crowding her and uh, you know trying to uh, make her uh, touch him and stuff. So there you have it. There you have it. That's not editing. That's not clever editing. That's I mean, it's none of that. That's that's his own words coming out of his mouth. I saw him cornering her. Crowding her, uh, trying to make her touch him and stuff and stuff like that. Right. So, I mean, I, I suppose perhaps he was saying that he didn't actually see Ric Flair grab her hand and specifically force her to touch his his junk. But he did see Ric Flair there. And he was because Dustin Reynolds had to go back there and grab Ric Flair. You know, and take control of the situation. Say, come on, bro. It, who himself, Dust, you know, Dustin Reynolds himself was acting a fool on the flight as well, as everybody else was. But in spite of the fact that he was intoxicated and perhaps not thinking straight, he still had the wherewithal to realize that Ric Flair was, was harming this lady. You know, and you could see her on the show getting emotional, just recalling the situation. Why would she make something like this up? That's my thing. And listen, listen, guys, listen. I'm a Ric Flair fan. Undisputed. He is most likely the greatest wrestler of all time. Easily. I love Ric Flair, man. I love the Nature Boy. And I'm, I'm just as disappointed as everyone else that this controversy is a thing right now. And Ric Flair is most likely canceled in 2021. I doubt any of those statements that he made are going to help him. I doubt it. I don't think... I mean, for instance, the big rumor was that Ric Flair was going to go to AEW and become Andrade El Idolo's mouthpiece, his handler. 
And I think that would be a, a terrible look for AEW right now, especially given that they're riding so high. They're riding a wave right now of so much hype and excitement. And they really are the hottest thing right now in wrestling. AEW. They're like what ECW was in the late 90s. You know what I'm saying? Or midnight, whatever it was that ECW was hot, right? And considered like this this big alternative kind of thing. That's AEW right now. So bringing in Ric Flair, whether you believe in the controversy or not, you can you can deny it. You can you know, I don't know. You you cannot. You don't have to believe it. But regardless, it would not be a good look for AEW to bring Ric Flair on board at this stage. Do I want to see Ric Flair in AEW? Sure. Sure I do. Of course. Not now. Not anytime soon. Not after this. Let this let this die down a little bit because it's still too fresh. You know, Tommy Dreamer, I never want to see his ass in AEW. <laughs> and I don't even care what he said. It's not even about that. It's just he's not appealing to me in any way. I mean, I did like him on Busted Open Radio. I thought he was one of the more knowledgeable talking heads there. You know, he had good takes on things and whatnot. And he asked good questions as well whenever they have guests on, like a Tony Khan, for an example. Um, but as far as in the ring, I don't care for Dom Tommy Dreamer. I'm going to say Dommy. <laughs> Dummy Dreamer. I don't, I don't care for him in the ring. But uh, yeah, man. So that's that. That's that. I, I, I feel like... This story has kind of been beaten to death now, like beating a dead horse. Um, that's pretty much all I'm going to say about it. You be the judge. You heard the recording. You be the judge. Max Caster and Tony Khan have a rap battle on stage. <laughs> After AEW Dynamite Grand Slam went off the air, I believe, in a dark segment preceding Rampage, the acclaimed would hit the stage and do their signature ba signature battle rap, except they were dissing Tony Khan, whom they would call out and challenge to a rap battle. Tony Khan would hit the stage and say he's written and formatted many wrestling cards in his life, but never once wrote a rap song, and he wasn't about to start today. Little Uzi Vert happened to be in the house for Grand Slam. So Tony Khan would actually bring out the rapper, Little Uzi Vert, um, claiming that he helped him, I guess, write these two bars that he's about to drop. <laughs> and Tony Khan would spit two bars. Tony Khan said, I'm TK and I'm here to stay. I'll suspend the acclaim for another 30 days. I'm just going to say, yo, I don't have to respond. You're going to have to answer to the Varsity Blondes. And out came Brian Pillman Jr. and Griff Garrison to clean house. <laughs> Hey, man, you know what? This is how you do celebrities the right way. You don't have to get celebrities involved in any kind of altercations or any kind of confrontations. You know, even if they're just standing there looking pretty or silly, rather, in the in the part of <laughs> Little Uzi Vert with that freaking gem or diamond that he has on his forehead. That is really really weird looking to be honest but whatever you know whatever floats your cloud um that's the right way to use celebrities you know that's a little cross promotion there giving little uzi vert a nice little moment as well in front of the crowd he got a decent pop as well in new york you know what i mean so clearly he had some fans in the building and then you got to put over the varsity blondes once again you know fighting off their longtime rivals 
the acclaimed and both of these teams have some major upside especially the acclaimed i am very excited for these cats moving forward all in all i, I would say it was a good segment it was a good segment and tony khan is he's living his best life man what can i say that man is the happiest man in the world today and why wouldn't he you know what I mean? He took a chance on AEW, putting in his own money into this company, really. Him and his dad, you know, his dad's money. Um, but he would proclaim that he put his own money down on the part of the video game. You know, he bought out, like, the companies that are developing the video game for him. Or at least for the console game that's going to be released. I don't know if he actually owns the developers at this point. But nonetheless, uh, yeah, Tony Khan, man. What can I say? He's he's like a kid in a candy store right now with all of all of the talents he has. CM Punk, Brian Danielson, Andrade El Idolo, Malachi Black. The list goes on. And really, AEW is on a next level high right now that will be remembered for many years to come. I want to thank you guys very much for joining me on the Highlight Reel Make sure you tune in Saturday while I will have Rampage Grand Slam. The review will be up. We'll have some more cringy sound bites, more news, more shenanigans. I don't think I'm going to do a Wrestler of the Week for that particular episode. These episodes are getting kind of long, man. So I don't know because that, ep that episode of Rampage is going to run for two hours. So I don't think I'm going to be able to squeeze in a wrestler of the week or a, a rankings list for that episode but nonetheless it's going down i cannot wait and i'll see you guys saturday don't forget to wash your hands and don't forget to wash your ass very important tip your waitresses i'm out you.